Morning, everybody. How are you doing this morning? Good to see. Good to see you. My name's Matthew. If we haven't uh, met before, and yeah, if you're visiting, you're really, really welcome being with us. And I hope you enjoy. And hi to everyone watching online as well. Now then, when I was um, I don't know seven, eight years old, I started some swimming lessons, and I remember. One particular occasion, me and my older sister, we were in lessons together, and we were learning backstroke. And I've since discovered, actually, that backstroke is one of those things that you only really, unless you become an athlete, I don't know, but do you only ever do backstroke in swimming lessons? It's like when you learn French at school, and you only learn how to say, like, what's in your pencil case, isn't it? It's only useful, like, in school. I've never done backstroke apart from this time. Anyway, I digress. So I was learning backstroke. One thing I didn't like when I was learning to swim was getting the, getting the water in my eyes. I don't know why I didn't wear goggles, but for some reason I didn't. And so I remember we were doing the backstroke, and I would do the backstroke with my eyes closed. And, um, you know, at first, as you're doing, you know, short, uh, like the widths of the pool, that seemed fine. Occasionally it might bump my head on the wall, but I wasn't going that fast. Then there's one particular day in the swimming lessons when we were doing the full length of the pool. <laughs> So, you know, the instructor sets us off, I don't know, maybe like a dozen of us, and I'm going back, and I got my eyes closed, and I'm swimming and swimming and swimming and swimming, and I feel, oh, my technique's really good today. I felt like I was doing really well, going and going and going, and, oh, this pool's really big, going and going and going, and then suddenly, a little feel like a tap on my shoulder interrupt me, so I kind of turn around treading water, and the instructor, <laughs> she's like, what are you doing? And I, and I turn around, and all of the other children are like over there, and I've gone like miles, miles away, like across into the adult pool, <laughs> where obviously one side of my body is stronger than the other or something. And she's like, what are you doing? You know, why, you know, and they're all laughing, not in like a fun, you know, I laughed as well. And uh, <laughs> it was like, oh, and uh, so, you know, I said, oh, I said, oh, I, I had my eyes closed, I didn't know where I was going. And so my instructor had to say, you know, when you're doing the bike show, you have to keep your eyes open. And she pointed out, as you're seeing swimming pools, the flags on the, uh, on the ceiling. Is that if you're doing backstroke, the flags kind of tell you that you're in the light, right lane and where you're going and when you're so many meters from the end so you don't bump your head, as I had been doing. And so she told me, you have to, you have to keep your eyes open and watch where you're going. To be fair, this did happen another couple of occasions. She started to get a bit annoyed, so eventually I did learn to keep my eyes open. Anyway, I don't know if anyone's experienced that before, or is it just me? But one you might have experienced in a similar way is, have you ever been down the beach, and you're swimming in the sea, and you're kind of, you know, just having fun, whatever, and then you look over to where you were kind of camped on the beach, and it's like miles away, and it's the, the kind of the current is like, pushed you down the beach one way. Have you ever had that experience before? And you, you haven't even noticed, but it kind of it just is drifting you along. Anyway, today we've come to the end of our series that we've been looking at, In the Boat with Jesus. And we've done this all over the summer, and today I'm doing a little kind of little sum, sum up and a little thing, kind of a little takeaway for us as we go into the winter. So we've been looking at this series, In the Boat with Jesus. We pulled out over the summer 11 or 12 stories which are recorded in the Gospels where Jesus is in a boat or near a boat or that starts with a boat or something like that. The disciples are involved as well. And the interesting thing about these stories as we've explored together is that even though Jesus met with all different types of people in all different kinds of places, it was only ever the disciples who followed him into the boat. And so the Gospel authors, when they were writing this down, they would kind of use this setting of the boat 
as a kind of a, a, to something to frame these stories, that it would grab our attention, that when we see these stories and the things that Jesus did, we would know that these stories are about discipleship. This is what it means for us as we look to follow Jesus, what it looks like uh, to be a follower of Jesus. The things that Jesus did the, th- the things that we do. It's like we're in the same boat together and we go on this journey with him. And as we've gone through the series and just kind of looking back over it, I notice a bit of a thread that kind of runs through all these stories and kind of ties them together. And it's this, is that it's always Jesus who guides or instructs the disciples with regards to the boat. It's always Jesus who kind of orchestrates what's happened so when, you know, huge crowds come to gather on the shore and uh, Jesus stands in the boat to teach the people, it's Jesus who instructs the disciples to get the boat ready. He says, Jesus asked his disciples to have a boat ready for him so that the crowd would not crush him. Or when he wants to go somewhere, there's people he wants to speak to, there's somebody he wants to see, there's a mission on his mind, or he wants to go and take some time out to rest with the disciples. It's Jesus who pulls them together. One day Jesus says to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. And other times he sent the disciples on ahead of him. He said, you go in the boat, you know, and I'll catch you up. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And even when the disciples, like we saw last week, had gone out fishing of their own accord, um, and, you know, they were fishermen, some of them, so this is their expertise, this is their job, this is their trade, they're the experts here, but even then, we see that Jesus brings something to the table, doesn't he? He brings something that, uh, that only he can do. And I love Simon Peter's reaction, the first kind of time that he encounters Jesus uh, in the boat, and it's not long after he'd first met Jesus, before he was a disciple, and he'd been out fishing all night with uh, Andrew, James, and John, their partners, this was their job. This is their team. They've been out all night. They've caught nothing. And then they come ashore, and they're cleaning their nets and licking their wounds, a bit like the Australians last week. And uh, in the Australians here? God, I could, that's like never going to happen again, is it? So anyway, so they're, they're there cleaning up the nets. Jesus, he's up early. He's teaching on the beach. Crowds are starting to gather. And so that they don't kind of push him into the water as they come closer and closer, he climbs into Peter's boat and begins to use it as a platform to teach the people. And then afterwards, it says this, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. And Peter says, master, Simon replied, Simon Peter, master, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing, but at your word, I'll let down the nets. Have you ever been in a situation where something's not working and, or you've lost something and then you ask someone for help and the advice they give you is the very thing that you've just done like a million times already and you're kind of like, well, I have already tried that or I have already looked there, but help yourself. And then when they do it, it works straight away. Isn't that so annoying when that happens? This happens all the time up at our offices in Penland, the building there where we run projects and things, is the doorbell. The doorbell there is like notoriously, what's the word, Um, you know, unreliable. (laughs) And like you can be down the end, you know, and then suddenly my phone will be going and, uh, and, you know, I come and there's someone at the door and they'll be like, oh, I've been ringing the bell, I've been knocking the door. And so then, you know, later on that day or something, Adam's back into the office, wherever, I'm like, 
he's the centre manager. I'm like, Adam, the doorbell's not working again. And I'm like, oh, have you tried pushing it? And I'm like, yes, that's the whole point. And he had them all trot out, push the bell, ding, ding. And he's like, what? how does that happen? How does that happen? It happens all the time. Anyway, Peter's having one of these moments here. He's like, well, we have been working all night, you know, all night and caught nothing. I love the emphasis, all night long and caught nothing. But at your word, go on then, I will let down the nets. And as he does, this is what it says next famously. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. And a shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. And Peter and Jesus' followers quickly learned that when they pay attention to Jesus' words, and when, when they act at your word, that things happen. Things happen. Things that bring life and goodness and healing and forgiveness and restoration and blessing and kindness. Things happen at Jesus' word. And for us as followers of Jesus, you know, as we look at the series and all that we've learned over the summer, I think a takeaway for us, if we could boil it down, that what we carry forward is to learn to live at your word, at your word, to be guided, to be shaped, to be led by Jesus and his word for our lives. And for me, like a young boy swimming, you know, I had to learn to keep my eyes open and to look at the flag so I could keep straight and, you know, reach the end and not bang my head. Or when you're like on the beach with those currents, you know, sometimes those currents, and they move undetected under the water, isn't it? And in our lives, you know, sometimes our hearts, our desires, our culture, it can move us and pull us at times in all different directions. And sometimes we don't even kind of notice it like the tide is this kind of moving us down, you know, down one end of the beach, if you like. And we've got to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and on his words and who he calls us to be and live at his word. And it's interesting, this picture of the boat for discipleship was something that the early church and the early Christians kind of picked up on and they began to use. And they had many secret symbols, the kind of early church, to kind of mark places or to communicate, to show that they were a Christian. Because when they were under persecution, it could be dangerous to kind of, you know, publicly in certain places worship and stuff like that. So they had many little symbols and offer them like a fish or a boat or an anchor and they could kind of maybe disguise a cross within them or they, you know, had particular meanings that they drew out. And this is one, a famous one from some of the catacombs in Rome. Uh, me and my sister Chloe went and visited there a few years ago and uh, got a nice little selfie with it. And the boat was one of these as well and they could like disguise a cross in the mast of the boat and stuff. And so the church, sorry, the the boat became like a, a, it was a, a picture of discipleship in the Gospels, and it became almost like a symbol for the church, the church community. And that's why in old traditional church buildings, have you heard the, how the, the bit where, we, where you sit is called the nave, which comes from the Latin word for ship. Uh, not, and so obviously, not, not that church is a building, it's a community, isn't it? But it's like a reminder that we're in this boat together, and we're on a journey together, and like, who's leading the boat? Who's the captain of the ship? is Jesus. And where he goes, we go. And for us as a church, that's kind of why we're called Cornerstone as well, isn't it? And we've shared this many times. When the church started all the way back in 1991, they decided on the name Cornerstone. And the Cornerstone was a foundation stone in a building that all the other stones would build on and align to. 
And Jesus once referred to himself as the cornerstone and that the church was going to be built on him. And so that's why we called ourselves Cornerstone all the way back then, because we want to be a church built on Jesus, shaped by Jesus, led by Jesus, doing the things that Jesus did on a journey together and to see what Jesus wants to bring through us. And so as we've gone through this series, and if we think about living our lives and building our lives on Jesus' words and living at his word, what are some of the kind of the words that we've seen Jesus bring? And I just got three to pull out for us here. Oh, here we go. Here's when Peter says that you're coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. There we are. I share this from time to time because you know that song, um, Christ Alone Cornerstone? We haven't sang it for ages, but we used to sing it a lot. One time we had someone come along and uh, they'd not heard of Jesus references, you know, the cornerstone thing, because, you know, it's not something necessarily got taught all the time or whatever. And they thought we were singing a song about ourselves. <laughs> and I thought, it's a bit strange that they sing their song about themselves. But no, this is where it comes from, if you were wondering. <laughs> so anyway, right, three things that Jesus did, three types of words. Number one, Jesus brings words of comfort. I was going to call this words of encouragement, but I realized I get three C's. So we've gone for words of comfort. So for those who like alliteration, here it is. Words of comfort. These are the things we've seen Jesus say, and these are things that Jesus says to us. And maybe, you know, you'll hear some of these words are for us this morning as well. And maybe you need to hear one of these for yourself, and you can take it on board. Words of comfort. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Jesus is with us every day, always. Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus forgives us for the things that we've done wrong. He comes into our life to bring freedom for our lives. And he calls us sons and daughters because we belong to him. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Jesus brings healing into our lives, in our physical lives, and in other ways as well, emotionally, mentally, and all different things. He wants to bring life and freedom. Jesus says, don't be afraid just believe, trust me, I am with you, I'm for you, I know what's ahead. And of course, he says to us, follow me and be my disciple. And Jesus meets us in our lives in real ways. His words show that he is close, that he is for us, that he is full of kindness and grace, that he draws us in. He calls us sons and daughters, we are welcome. And he has power to heal and to forgive and to strengthen and to rescue and to answer prayers. I remember when I was at university in my first term, and in the first few months, I'd had these wisdom teeth trouble, and I had to have a couple out, and I had to come back and forth for some appointments, and I was doing it in the hospital. And then when they took it out, it kind of, my face like ballooned, and so I was home for a few, like two weeks or something. Anyway, when I arrived back at uni, I'd missed a whole chunk, and it was kind of like early November, and what I'd found was that everyone had already, everyone that I kind of knew, had already sorted their houses for the following year already. And I was like, whoa, that was really quick. I didn't really know many people yet. And I was like, oh, no, what am I going to do? Like, I genuinely didn't know what I was going to do. The university halls, as far as I knew, were only for the first years. Everybody that I did know already had a house sorted. And you know, when you're, you know, I was 18, and you're kind of, you're trying to be independent. You're out on your own for the first time, you know, and you want to make it happen. And then suddenly you're like, oh, no. Like, I'm, like I genuinely had no idea what to do. And I remember being in my room, and praying and just saying, Jesus, I've got no idea what to do here. Like, you know, will you help me and kind of show me a way to sort something out for next year? And then suddenly, as I was praying, I had this kind of um, urge, if you like, or the sense that to go to, there was a, a pub all the way the other side of town. I think it's the biggest Weatherspoons in the country, actually, the Imperial. And um, 
to go, to go down there. And I happened to have known there was another church that they were doing like a student event over there, but it wasn't a church that I went to. Uh, I just happened to hear it or see it on Facebook or something. I wasn't planning on going, but I suddenly had this urge to go. And so I just left straight away, walked across town, all the way by myself, into the Imperial. And I remember like walking in, there was kind of a big crowd of students, a bit like it would be a pole on the pond for the Alpha, kind of walking in. And then on the left, hand side here was two lads who kind of lived on the hall next to me who I had met before and we played football a bit together and stuff before I'd gone back home, Ben and Matt. And they were like, oh, Matthew, we haven't seen you for ages. You know, come on, you know, come on over. So I walk over to them. You've got Ben, Matt, and they were chatting with two of their friends, Naomi and Mary, and they were all friends together. And they said, we were just talking about how the four of us are all going to move in together. We're all going to live together next, uh, next year. And they were all chatting, exciting. And then Ben turns to me and says, oh, what, what are you doing? Have you got anything yet? And I was like, oh, no, I haven't managed to sort anything yet. You know, I've been away for a while. And then they said, well, why don't you come and live with us? I was like, great. <laughs> and, uh, and I did. And we had a brilliant time. And we enjoyed so much that we lived together for the following year as well. And, you know, we had a, a really great time together. And, and literally, I walked in. And that was the first, it was like the first thing that happened, the first person I spoke to, the first thing, conversation that happened. And Jesus, you know, he knows where we are. He loves us and he is for us and he loves to help. And he invites us to call on him and to look to him for the big things, for the small things, and to know that he is with us. And he brings to us words of comfort, words of encouragement. I remember once praying for a guy called Mike. It was nearly 10 years ago now. And he had tendonitis in both his forearms which had been triggered by this kind of injury he'd had. And he worked over in Amazon, and he was in pain every day, like doing the picking and things. He used to wear these kind of supports. He'd been having physio. He was due to start acupuncture treatment kind of the following week when he asked me to pray for him. And he was an atheist at the time, um, but he asked me to pray. So I simply prayed for him. He was really tall. I remember praying, Jesus, I thank you for Mike. I thank you that you love him and he's important to you. And in the name of Jesus, I command this pain to go in his arms and this tendonitis to be healed. Amen. And uh, when he opened his eyes, he had like, he's a really big guy, but he had like, uh, his eyes were wet, kind of, you know, he's emotional. And he said, oh, I can feel like the pain lifting out of my arms. And um, his arms were totally healed. He went back to the physio the next week and they discharged him without doing any of the treatments, didn't need any further treatment. But he said to me in conversation, you know, as time went on, how what really impacted him when we prayed was this sense of God's love that he'd never experienced before when we prayed. And it just kind of came over him. And he experienced this peace that he'd never had before. You know when you've got something on your mind and it's like a background thing, and maybe it's like niggling away over weeks and months, and, you know, you're kind of waiting for something to be sorted or something to take place, you know what I mean? And you know when it finally happens, and you feel that weight lift off your shoulders, and you're like, oh, do you know, I didn't realize how much that's been weighing down on me all of these weeks. Have you ever had that before? And it's almost like that was kind of his experience. He suddenly had this peace that he'd never realized that he'd been almost living with this before. And now suddenly, oh, there was a peace and a wholeness and a stillness. And I explained to him that that's, that's Jesus. That what Jesus had done for his arms and the love that he'd experienced in that moment was something that God wanted to, to know for his whole life. And that's why Jesus has come into the world, to restore our relationship with God. Because as people, you know, we can find ourselves far from God and the things that we've done wrong, the sin of the world, it separates us from him. But this isn't what God wants. And so he came into the world as a man called Jesus. He lived and he showed people what God was like. 
Eventually, he was arrested, he was betrayed, he was crucified by the Romans. But three days later, because he was God's son coming into the world who'd done nothing wrong, he rose to life again. He defeated death. He conquered death. And he's alive now. He's alive now in heaven. He returned to heaven. And when we invite him into our lives, he forgives us for the things that we've done wrong. He promises that he's with us every single day. He has a purpose for our lives, a rescue for our lives. And he promises us the gift of eternal life, that just as Jesus came back from the dead, he has won for us eternal life, that we don't have to live in fear, but we know that death is not the end, but freedom and healing is there for every single one of us in our experience now and in when we go into eternity. And this is what God wants for all of us. I remember once meeting a lady in Sweden, her name was Solve, and she, when I met her, she'd been a Christian about 12, 18 months, and she shared her story with me, and she'd had kind of like, the worst couple of years of her life. She'd been at, she was at the end of a relationship breakdown and it had been really unpleasant and all these different things. But she said to me of her experience of Jesus in this last year, and I wrote it down at the time, she said, it's been amazing. Even with everything going on, I've never felt so secure. It's like a rock under my feet. I wish everybody would experience what I have. And Jesus meets us in our lives in real ways, where we are, whatever we're in, with words of comfort, encouragement, peace, freedom, strength, wisdom, wholeness. And when we say, at your word, we welcome that into our life, and that's what he brings. And this is what Jesus wants for everyone to experience. Solve said, I wish everyone could experience this, and that's Jesus' heart. He wants everyone to experience this. And that's why the second thing that Jesus brings is words of calling. Now, I was gonna call this words of direction, or words of instruction, but it's not only because of the seas, but also when it comes to Jesus, whatever he calls us to or instructs us to do, he's already been there. He's already done it. He doesn't stand back and say, do this, do that, do this, go there. He says, this is where I've gone. Now come with me and let's do it together. So they're words of calling. And he says, I want to partner with you to bring my plans into your life and to those around you. And so when the disciples asked Jesus, as we saw, to send the crowds away to go and get food, Jesus turns to them and says, you give them something to eat. And together they feed 5,000 or more people. And when Jesus walks on the water and Peter sees him and says, if it's you, tell me to come to you, Jesus says, come. And Peter does the same thing and walks on the water out to Jesus. And Jesus calls us together to a life of mission and miracles, joining in with his rescue doing the things that Jesus did, sharing his message, loving one another, loving others, seeing him impact lives right where we are. This past week, I was chatting to a guy called Andrew Davis. Some of you know him. He came and did the men's weekend with us a couple of years back. And he's a trainer, and he goes around big companies, NHS, other places, doing like, you know, management training, people skills training, all that kind of stuff. And he was telling this story how recently he was in London, and he was doing a training for a big banking company, and they'd all their kind of bosses there, and he was doing a training on negotiation skills. And um, he says, you know, does the whole day, and, you know, we had a great day together. And then he says, as he was walking to get the train back, one of the bosses who'd been on the training, they were getting the same line or same tube. So we were walking together, and he said that this person was saying, oh, that was a really great day. That was, thank you for that. And then he came up with this line, it's done my soul, or something like, it's done my... And I say, I can't give away now. It's been really good for my soul, or something like that. And then he says, the guy stopped and said, I don't really know why I said that. I don't even know what a soul is. I don't even know why I have a soul. 
And then Andrew, who's obviously a, he's a Christian and, you know, followed Jesus, he said, what would you like me to tell you? <laughs> and they got into conversation, and he began to share about Jesus. And this conversation started there, and then they came, started emailing each other back and forth. And now this person has been, is going along to a, a local church and joining in with an alpha there, a bit like what Holly shared out, and is kind of exploring from his, for himself. So for the disciples of Jesus in the boat, they traveled with Jesus from one place to another, always going about and moving because Jesus wanted to meet different people. It was all about people, and they followed him where he went. But now for us today, Jesus lives in me and you through the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. So we don't have to climb into a boat, but now he's going with us to wherever we are and the places that we are to meet with others, with us, and through us. In Romans, it says this, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And this is what we are called to. And then finally, the third thing that we see from Jesus is we have these words of citizenship. And Jesus' ultimate goal is to reunite heaven and earth. Where our world is broken, and we all experience that in different ways, Jesus' ultimate goal is to bring healing and restoration to our world. And one day, says, Jesus will return from heaven to earth, and all will be made new, and all will be made whole, and all will be restored. And that's God's ultimate plan. What he does in our lives and how he restores us, he wants to do totally across the board. And so when Jesus came, he brought and lived out the values of heaven on earth. Now, he started living them out straight away. He didn't wait, but he's been doing it from like day one, how he treated others, how he valued others, how he cared for the poor, how he elevated women in the society of that day, how he healed his approach to money, his words about truth and relationships. He said to people, repent, because the kingdom of God is at hand. And repent means a change of mind that leads, and a change of mind, as we know, leads to a change of behavior. That the values of heaven are coming to earth and to be lived out now in our lives and in our experience. A few weeks ago, I was chatting with Bill Chapman, who leads a church over in Thanethley. And he used to be, fittingly for our series, he used to be a boat builder, that was his job. I think he trained as an engineer, and then he went and built boats. And he was telling his story about how when he first became a Christian, how he went back to work that week, and he kind of, he was not sure how the lads were going to take it, so he kind of kept him to himself. But he said, towards the end of the week, one of his colleagues turned to him and said, what's up with you then, Bill? What's up with you? And, you know, Bill was like, what do you mean? What do you mean? A bit shy. And uh, the guy had noticed that Bill's language had changed. And that he'd been speaking differently. He noticed that he hadn't been swearing, probably amongst other things. But it's like Bill had changed his output, <laughs> having experience and welcoming Jesus into his life. And when we follow Jesus, Paul, who was an early follower of Jesus, and in the New Testament, read lots of his books. He wrote to different churches to encourage them. He describes it this way. He says, when we follow Jesus, we become citizens of heaven. He says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And so it's like we've got this new citizenship, a dual citizenship. We're citizens of heaven. We have the culture of heaven, the values of heaven. This is who we've become. But, we, but we're living that out now, right where we are, if you like, on the earth. We live out those values now. You know, like these people say, dress for the job you want, not for the job that you have. And, you know, not in a fake it till you make it kind of way. But Jesus' words, his instructions, they're like words of citizenship. And we're bringing the future 
and what God wants to bring into our present through our lives and how we live. And so sometimes these words of citizenship, they can come as words of challenge. Sometimes they come as, a, as words of challenge because they are bearing on how we live our lives, isn't they? how we treat others, how we conduct our relationships. They have a bearing on our approach to money and generosity and sharing, on sex, on how we spend our time, on our priorities, on how we treat others, on our attitude, how we speak about our colleague, how we speak about our neighbor next door, the things that we do, the way that we live. And sometimes the values of Jesus are a little bit like swimming against the tide or swimming against the current. Not always, but sometimes they can come as words of challenge. But in these moments, this is where we make that choice, empowered by the Holy Spirit who lives within us, that we're going to follow Jesus. That I've got into Jesus' boat, and I'm going to follow this boat where Jesus leads it and where Jesus takes me. And I'm going to trust, I'm going to trust Jesus because I know he is good and I know that he loves me and he knows me better than anyone else. And I know he's got a good purpose for my life and my future, not just for me, but for those around me as well. He doesn't want me to bump my head on the end of the pool. <laughs> he wants me to see the flags and to know where I'm going. And so I'm going to choose to live at your word. Not always getting it right, we need help along the way. None of us are perfect. It's not about, I have this saying, it's not about perfection, but it's about direction. But the direction of my life, I'm going to live at Jesus' word, and we're going to do it together and help one another along the way. And he brings word of, Jesus brings life and freedom and comfort and wholeness to us as we follow him. So this morning, to kind of sum up, there's one little thing that I think I wanted to encourage us to fix our eyes on together, especially as we go into this change of season as we were talking about, and we move into the busyness of autumn, November, and then the C word, Christmas, that comes up at the end. Um, and it's this, it's the importance of being together, prioritizing our time together, for us as a church, that often looks like Sundays, where we can come all together, and Tuesdays in small groups, but also our special events we can invite friends to. This is a place and where we can do life together, where we can encourage and support one another, where we can share when we need help, or if we need to reach out, or we need someone to pray for us, or we can pray for others, where we can hear Jesus' words together, where we can keep our eyes fixed on him together, where we can do life together, welcome others together, reach out together, be in the boat together, and it only works if we are together. And so in Hebrews, one of the books in the Bible, again, written to an encourager church, they said this, the author said this, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. And let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another. So let's fix our eyes again as we go into this season on the importance and the priority of being together. Many things can creep into our lives, you know, and especially post-COVID, it's like many things can creep in and choices that we make and things that we pick up, but at the end of the day, Jesus is who we're living for. So let's keep our eyes fixed on him and keep the main thing the main thing so we can do it together. And we'll find that everything else will go better when we live at his word and we help one another. For us students who are just arriving or just arrived in Swansea and you're making your own way at uni, it's an exciting time of life. I'm sure you're going to have a great time. 
And uh, sorry about the weather this week. But let me encourage you, whether here or whether in another church, there's loads of great churches in the city, to find a home, find it quickly, make friends, and get stuck in and get involved, because there'll be many calls on your time, and there's many options and things to experience, places to do, and then obviously you've got your work when that comes in, and your exams or whatever, and it can get really busy. So make it a priority to find a church community and to find friends and to get involved, uh, you know, really quickly. You'll find that it will strengthen you and it will sustain you and it will keep you going through everything else and you'll have someone who can help you out when you get fresh as flu. And you'll find that you'll get more out of your time here. These three or four years, however long you're here, it will go in a flash and you will get more and you will maximize it by allowing Jesus to kind of empower you and be with you throughout this time. And I want to say to you that you're not here by accident. Swansea might have been your first choice, or it might have not been your choice at all. We've had past students who've turned up here after, what's it called, um, clearing. They had never heard of Swansea before, and they didn't even know it was in Wales. And so they're coming on the train, and they notice that there's two signs now on the stations, and they realize, oh, I've even crossed into a different country. But even if that's your, and some of them are still here 15 years later. But let me encourage you. You're not here by accident. God knows where you are, and he's got a purpose for you. And he wants to walk these next few years with you. And you'll discover that he has even more in mind for you for your time here than you thought. And you'll go away and think, oh, I wasn't expecting that. And uh, I want to leave you with this. In uh, the book of Ephesians, which again, Paul wrote to encourage a local church, he, he prayed over them. And I feel, feel like this is a prayer for you this morning, arriving into university. And I just want to kind of read this over you and then I'll pray to finish. So it says this, I pray from God's glorious and limited resources that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him and your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Now, all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. So let me pray to finish. Father, I thank you for all the students and young people and others who have just arrived in the city in recent days and weeks. I thank you, Lord, that you know that they're here and they're not here by accident, but you have a plan for their lives and you're excited about what you have ahead for them. And I pray, would they know the depth of your love in these days to come? And as there's all new things to explore and places to be, and I pray, Father, would you give them that sense of home and that sense of belonging and knowing that you are with them. And I pray, would you bless their time here, whether here for a few years or for longer. Would you bless it? And would you bring into being and into fruition every single thing that you have in mind for them whilst they're here? And I pray for all of us together, Lord, would you help us to live at your word and to see your goodness and your life, your healing, your forgiveness, your restoration, all the blessings that you have for us and our city and our world. I pray would you move in power and help us to pursue them together in the name of Jesus. Amen.